0: I'd like to come up behind that song (laughs) and preach a message about suffering. Uh, Yeah, today we're gonna be finishing this sermon series, I Wanna Believe But. We've been looking at some really common misconceptions about God, because a lot of people say, you know, I I almost believe in God. It's like, I, I wanna believe in God. But something I believe about God makes it really hard for me to believe in God. And what we found out is a lot of the time, the God that they're rejecting is not even the God of the Bible. It's a, it's a distorted view of God. It's a false image of the one true God. And like today, we're gonna talk about heartless God. How can I believe in a God that would allow so much pain in my life, that would allow so much suffering in my life? How can I be, how can I believe in a God that that would allow so much suffering in the world? How can I believe in a God if he's good and he's powerful? Why does he allow cancer or earthquakes or COVID-19? You know, why did my husband leave? Why did my mother die? Why did my kid get sick? Why can't I find a friend? What about like these school shootings? and child abuse and, and war. I, I, I just can't get there. I just can't believe in a God who doesn't care about our pain and suffering. And maybe you've known someone that said that or maybe you've said it yourself. Maybe you've said, you know, I reject a God that sits and laughs while we cry and while we die and while we suffer. I, I reject a God Who doesn't care what happens to us i reject heartless god and if that's you listen you're in good company because i reject him too but that's not the god of the bible the god of the bible is not who we're rejecting because the god of the bible is not heartless or hateful or mean he he created a world for us so that we could live together with him in, in a a kingdom that he wanted to share with us he created this perfect world where his people could live under his blessing and under his rule in this perfect place where there is no pain and there is no suffering and then he created the people who would manage it and who would share it with them and enjoy it with them And so things were going pretty good at that point point. and then God did something. I don't. I don't like. I don't fully understand. Um, he gave man free will. He gave mankind the option. Like, right? a man could really trust God's definition of what was good and what was bad and what was right and what was wrong. He could really depend on God and and he could live in God's perfect kingdom and experience these perfect blessings and God's perfect rule and he could experience God and his blessings. Or, B, he could rebel and reject God and try to create his own version of good and evil. And when man chose to rebel, against God and create his own version of good and evil, that's when it all fell apart. That's when Satan came into the garden and he tempted Adam and Eve. And look what happened. God created this perfect world, right? Everything is great, all blessing. Everything is wonderful. We can constant communion with God. Everyone loves each other. Everything is wonderful. And look what happens. This is Romans five twelve. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. This wasn't a one-time thing, right? When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And it wasn't just sin that entered the world at that time. Because look what comes next. When Adam sinned and entered the world, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. Adam's sin brought death and pain and suffering and abuse and hate and rape into this perfect world. That was never part of God's plan. Adam's sin brought pain and suffering into this world. And so when man chose his own way instead of trusting God, sin and corruption and evil and pain and suffering entered God's good world and messed it up and corrupted this beautiful, perfect place that God had specifically designed to enjoy man in. That's when suffering and pain really began. And it it broke God's heart to then have to exile Adam and Eve from the garden. He created this kingdom, this perfect place, just for the purpose of mankind living there and enjoying his presence and enjoying his beauty and enjoying all of his blessings. But if man was going to choose to be evil and dirty and sinful and in rebellion, he, he couldn't be there anymore because otherwise his corruption would corrupt this perfect place that God had created for him to live in. And from that time until now, God has desperately wanted to bring his kingdom back here to eliminate death and to eliminate evil and to eliminate pain and suffering. But Satan has continued to tempt and mankind has just kept on sinning and rebelling and rejecting God. And God has, I think, cried. He's, he's wept as he's watched our beautiful, perfect world get more and more hateful and hurtful and violent. But he didn't give up. Um, he tried washing the whole world. In a flood, right? But that was he's supposed to wash away all the sin of the world, or whatever. But you know, Noah just took his sinful nature with him onto the ark, and then after the flood, he just brought it right back out into the world. So God still didn't give up. He tried the law. He tried animal sacrifices to take away the sin of the world, but man, there just weren't enough sheep because mankind was dirty on the inside. Right, and the sin was just a symptom of the sinful nature of man. So that, that evil, that sinful nature just kept like working its way out and showing up in our behavior. So finally, I think God's heart was just so broken at the pain and the suffering and the hate and the death and the evil that corrupted our world that he sent Jesus to, to just like start over and to change our nature. To change us, not, not, not change our behaviors, change us from the inside out. So that instead of this evil, sinful nature like showing up, and then the result of it being sinful behaviors, instead, Jesus could change who we are on the inside. And that could begin to show up in our behavior on the outside. He sent Jesus to remove hate and death and cancer and murder and pain and suffering and war and to permanently redeem this world. And in time, he'll come back and he'll finish this redemption and he'll make all things new. God's, God's not heartless. He, he hates the pain and the suffering and the cancer and the violence and the hate and the hunger and the death of this world he, he hates those things in fact he's done everything to make it possible for his people to be under his blessing and under his rule and in his perfect place and bring back this perfect kingdom and in time his kingdom will come and his will will be done and all the pain and suffering will end and we get like a sneak preview of that in Revelation 21, this is like a, a sneak peek at that day. This is what it's gonna look like. So his kingdom was here, and it was perfect, and it was blessing, and it was, everybody was happy, and everything was wonderful, and everybody was naked. It was all good, right, in the Garden of Eden. Everything's great, and then sin comes in and contaminates the world, and so now we've got like these two separate worlds, right? We've got this contaminated, sinful world, and then we've got God's kingdom, and someday he's gonna bring those two things together, and when he does, this is what it's gonna look like. Revelation 21, three says, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, who's that? Jesus says, look, I'm making everything new is what God intended in the first place. And that's what will eventually happen when he brings his kingdom fully here. And until then, we live in this like corrupted world of sin and hate and death and pain and suffering. And people are just like trying to understand it or try to to like explain it or try to deal with it in all these different ways. For thousands of years, you know, people have tried to understand or explain the why of suffering. You know, why the pain? Why the suffering? And every every belief system has to deal with this. Um, Secular humanism has to deal with pain and suffering, and the way they deal with it is they say, well, humans are amazing, and mankind can actually correct the pain and suffering of the world, and, and, and we've tried, right? Let's have better medicine. You know, let's have better laws. Let's just tell people to be nice, and, and there's been some advances, but every war, and every cancer and every act of abuse or racism or hate just proves that we are basically powerless on our own against death and evil. We just, we just keep hurting each other and people just keep dying. It's like, it's like solving the problem of pain and suffering is above our pay grade, right? We're just not able to do anything about it. And so the world turns to religion and so buddhism deals with pain and suffering every belief system has to take this question on buddhism says life is suffering and so we shouldn't even protest it we should just like embrace pain and suffering because that's what life is that's buddhism islam teaches that we should submit to pain and so it's the will of allah you should just suck it up and submit to it. You shouldn't even be upset about it because if you're upset about it, then that's like some kind of blasphemy. Hinduism says we deserve pain and suffering. It's karma from what you've done in the past, maybe even in a past life. Don't those sound like weird ideas to you? Everybody's gotta deal with pain and suffering, but don't those sound like, like really weird ideas? But you know what the weirdest one of all is? Christianity. <laughs> because Christianity doesn't just acknowledge the pain and the suffering of this world it actually like encourages us to protest it actually says it's okay for us to be upset. It's okay for us to be angry. It's okay for us to be frustrated and in and, and despair. I mean, if you look in the Bible, like the heroes in the Bible, Jeremiah cried out, why, right? Isaiah cried out, God, what is up? What are you doing? David, half of the Psalms are horrible Psalms about how miserable things are. God, why are you letting this happen? Jesus, Jesus cried out, oh, Jerusalem, I wish I could just, hug you under my wing. I just wish I could just hold you because things are so jacked up. Even Jesus cried out against suffering and pain. Christianity's different because we we don't ignore it. We don't embrace it. We acknowledge pain. We acknowledge suffering and we hate it. And do you know why? You know why we hate it so much? Do you know why your heart breaks when you hear of an earthquake devastating a city or when you hear of a child born blind or you read about a school shooting or you some horrible thing happened? Do you know why we hate that so much? Do you know why we despair at suffering and pain and death and disease and loneliness? Do you know why it destroys you to watch someone suffer? It's because We're made in the image of a God who despises pain, who hates death, who is against suffering. We're made in his image. We are image bearers. He hates suffering and pain and death. And as his children, it's a family trait, right? We hate it too. And you may notice that's that's specific to humanity. Right? There's a lot of animals on planet Earth and it's like we're the only ones that get all upset. Why the pain? Why the suffering? You know when a lion kills an antelope in the Serengeti, as the antelope dies this horrible, excruciating, gory death, you know what the other animals are saying? Yeah, glad it wasn't me. Whew, that was that was close. Now, where's that grass we were just eating, right? He's like, what big deal? I don't care. They don't care about pain. They don't care about suffering. They, they've seen the Lion King. It's the circle of life. <laughs> they, 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 you, don't, you don't see the other antelope watching and going, oh, that's just tragic. Why, God? Why? They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't care. Even the one that's getting eaten. It's like, you know, I ran away. I got caught. That's it. And you don't you don't see that in, that in the mouth of the lion as the limp, bloody antelope is being drugged across the desert. You don't see that antelope saying, "God, where's the law of man? Where's the justice? Where are you in my time of suffering?" And it's just like you know what um, I, I this hurts, and the good thing is I didn't have dinner plans, you know, because now I am the dinner plan. It, it, you don't see animals raging against pain and suffering, but human beings are different. We hate pain. We hate suffering, we hate our own pain, we hate our own suffering, but we also hate other people to suffer, and we rage against death and suffering and evil, and when there's a school shooting, or somebody dies too young, or a tsunami wipes out a whole town, we, what do we do, what, what is our response to that? We cry out, right, in despair, in desperation, why, why, and I think it's a good question to ask, why do we ask why? And I think it's because we're created in the image of a God that is anything but heartless. We're created in the image of a God that hates pain and suffering and death and evil even more than we do. And if you're experiencing pain right now, if you are suffering right now, you need to know it's okay to say so. It's okay to to cry out to God. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be discouraged or disillusioned because the fact that you are sad or angry or discouraged or disillusioned is actually a proof of the God whose image you're created in. Our despair and our frustration and anger and sadness means that there is a good, just, loving God and we're created in his image. Christianity deals with pain and suffering differently than any other belief system. We acknowledge the pain. And we cry out in our suffering, but we also hold on to the hope in faith that one day God will dry every tear and that he will make all things new. Um, Philip Yancey written a lot about this, and he's talking about this day that Jesus is going to come back and make everything right, and every tear is dried, and no more death, and no more sin, and now it's going to be this That's gonna be a pretty good day. But look what he says, until that day arrives, our faith relies on incomplete evidence. We can't really reconcile our pain-wracked world with a loving God, because what we experience now is not what God intends. So we're trying to reconcile, how can this God be good and powerful and loving, and how can the world be so awful? but we can't really reconcile the two because this world is not the end. This world is not God's kingdom. This is not his perfect plan. This is not the ultimate answer because our God, our loving God, with his heart breaking at our pain, takes our stories, right? Our stories of pain and suffering and loss and death, and he embeds those stories into a much bigger story. And that's a story of healing and redemption and joy and life. He is anything but a heartless God. So a fair question, if he's not heartless God, then who is he? And first of all, I would say, He's the God who is with us. As we talk about at Christmas, right? Emmanuel, God with us. This is critical to the Christian faith. It's, and this is completely different than any other religion, than any other belief system because our God looked down on this broken world and he saw our pain and he saw our suffering and he saw our frustration and sadness and despair and he chose to join us there. He chose not to be the God away from us, or the God apart from us, or the God above us. He chose to be God with us. Jesus came for the purpose of experiencing pain and suffering. That's why he came. He left, he had a pretty good thing going up there, right? He left that, and he came here for for one purpose, to experience pain and suffering and humiliation, and betrayal, and loss, and rejection, and torture, and death. He didn't just sit up there and watch us squirm in our pain. He came to go through it with us. I'll tell you this. There's lots of kinds of pain, and you know people that have been through unimaginable. Maybe you've gone through just excruciating, horrible, horrible pain, but in my opinion, and and my opinion's right. (laughs) In my opinion... There is no pain as horrible as watching your child suffer. Parents, bear me out, right? Can I get a witness, parents? There is nothing, I don't care if it's your kid striking out in a little league game, right? I don't care if it's a tummy ache or a boo-boo on his knee. There is nothing worse for a parent than to see your kid suffer. There is, I will say, nothing in the human experience as horrible as watching your kids suffer, and it's It's sad, it's horrible to bury anybody, but nothing compares to burying a child. And yet, our Father God chose to send Jesus. He chose to experience that same pain as he watched Jesus die the most excruciating, humiliating, horrible death. God saw the pain that we go through, and he chose to taste it for himself. He chose to partake in that, he chose to cry with us so we didn't have to cry alone. God knows exactly what you're going through, and he knows what pain is about and what hurting is, and when you experience pain and suffering, he's with you. You know, God. people love to ask this question, well, where is God, you know, when all this terrible stuff is happening, where was God when my dad left? You know, where was God when my wife died? Where was God when my son was killed? Where was God when I lost my job? Where was God when I got diagnosed with cancer? Can I tell you something? When you were disappointed or rejected or hurting, he was there. And when you were crying over that loss, he was crying with you. And when you were despondent over that death, so was he. When your heart was broken by a divorce, or a bad diagnosis, or a lost child, or a betrayed trust, God was hurting too. You are his child, and watching you suffer brings him unimaginable pain, just like you feel with your kids, and just like he felt with Jesus. But he doesn't like pull back from that pain. He, he chooses to join us in the pain. He's not heartless God. He's God with us. And he's a God that is loving and healing through us. In all of this pain, in all of this suffering, he is the God that is healing and loving through us. The Bible calls us, Christians, the body of Christ. So here's this terrible world of pain and suffering and sin and death and misery, right? And now God's gonna begin to heal and redeem and restore and bring his kingdom and that all started 2,000 years ago, right, in Jesus. And now he calls us to continue that work. That's why the Bible calls us the body of Christ. We're continuing the work that he began. And he knows that the answer to that, the, the, the healing to that, is love. He knows we need each other. He knows that we need, when we're, when we're hurting, nothing takes it away. But what mitigates it, what makes it bearable, is feeling love. And that's why he commands us. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. John 13:34, right? I'm giving you a new commandment. Not just, not just another commandment. This is a superseding commandment. It takes all the other commandments and rolls them into one. If you're only going to do one thing, this is my commandment. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Galatians 6.2 tells us that we're to carry each other's burdens. What does that mean? It means we're supposed to lift each other up and help each other through hard times. And I've seen that happen in this church a million times. When somebody's going through something really hard and, you know, the people in the church are praying for them and calling them and texting them and fixing their house or taking them a meal. Mowing their grass fixing their water heater, right? Going to be with them in the hospital. I can't tell how many times I have heard about somebody being in the hospital and I like drop everything, rush to the hospital to be with them and I get there and half of the church is already there. There's already people from their life group. There's already people that sit with them in church. There's already people that they teach with or serve with or know from church that are already there loving them and praying for them. That's God loving and healing through you. That's our father, reflecting who he is. We're created in his image, man. That's when we look like him. You know, my whole life, I was told, you look just like your father, and it's true. My dad was a devastatingly good-looking man. (laughs) And, and (laughs) that's, um, so, People have said, you know, oh, you look just like him. You look just like him. And sometimes that's like okay for me to hear that. And then there's other times like when I'm saying, somebody turn off all these lights, Where are all the lights on, right? It's like, you sound just like your dad, right? <laughs> Eat all that food, kids in China, wish they were. It's like, you sound just like your dad, right? The way you stand, the way you act, you know, you look just like your dad. And I'm telling you that when we're loving each other, We're caring for each other when there is pain and when there's suffering. We're just crying with somebody because they're crying. That's when we look the most, like our Father. Someday, God will make all things new, and he'll take away all that stuff, and he'll dry every tear. Meanwhile, he's the God who's loving and healing through us, and he's the God who's preparing a place for us I mean, someday his kingdom will fully come and all the pain and all the suffering and all the death and loss will be gone from our present and from our future and even from our past. And everything will be made new. That's a really interesting thing, Jesus. Everything will be made new, everything will be made right. Everything painful and ugly will be redeemed. There's a word. Right, redeemed. When was the last time you said redeemed outside of church? Right, redemption. It's like a hard thing to even understand. Um, let me see how many old people we got in here. You guys remember green stamps? Who remembers green stamps? Come on, old people. SNH green stamps. Okay, young people, get ready for a history lesson. Back right after they invented fire. I remember it was very clear. <laughs> Okay, so grocery stores, I want you to come to my grocery store instead of that grocery store. If you come to my grocery store, I'll give you green stamps. And you take a bunch, every dollar you spend, you get whatever green stamps. And then you take those stamps and you lick them. <laughs> and you put them in these little paper books, right? And then you take that paper book and you go to the, the green stamp store and you redeem them. Right? You exchange them for a coffee pot, right? Or a tennis racket, or a vacuum cleaner, or whatever. And so, what's happening there? We're taking something of no value, it's, it's, it's paper and spit, right? And we're redeeming that for a vacuum cleaner, right? We're taking something of no value, and we're exchanging it for something of great value. That's, that's redemption. And somehow, at the end of this story of pain and suffering, Jesus will come back and he'll redeem us. And he'll exchange all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our sin for something valuable, for eternal life in his perfect kingdom. It's weird, it's, a, it's like a hard thing to understand, but it's more than just stopping new pain and new suffering from coming. He will actually redeem the old pain and the old suffering. Really, that's like a hard concept. Here's a great quote from a great guy, C.S. Lewis, in The Great Divorce, said that some people say when they're suffering, this is like, this is so awful. Don't tell me how great heaven's gonna be, right? Because this is so awful that no future bliss can make up for it, but they say that not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backward and turn even that agony into a glory. It's like a Maybe you're not up for C.S. Lewis. Uh, How about Sam Ganji in The Return of the King? Anybody know that story? Remember you read that in high school, I think. At the end of this great war, Sam wakes up and he's like, oh my, Gandalf is alive. That's unbelievable. I thought he would, I'm alive. It's unbelievable. Here's his quote. He says, will everything sad become untrue? Will everything sad become untrue? That's what's gonna happen at the end of our story when all of our stories of pain and suffering and death will be embedded in a much bigger story of redemption and healing and life. Jesus will make everything sad become untrue. That's how Sam described it. The Bible says it like this, Revelation 21. Finally, finally, God will be fully with his people. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And Jesus will say, look, I am making everything new. How's that going to work? I don't know. 1 Corinthians 13 says we don't, we don't see it clearly now, but we have faith. We don't see it, but we have faith. Not in a heartless God. We have faith in a God that loves us completely. We have faith in a God that hurts when we hurt and cries when we cry and who will someday redeem all of this pain and suffering. And his kingdom will come and his will will be done. And we will be his perfect people in his perfect place in his perfect rule, experiencing his perfect blessing. And pain and suffering and death will die. And until then, pain and suffering are real. And they're horrible. But by faith, we can get through them. Because our faith isn't in a heartless God. Our faith is in a God who's with us. Our faith is in a God who is loving and healing through us. Our faith is in a God who's preparing a place for us. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things in this world that we don't understand. It's impossible for us to look at a tsunami. It's impossible for us to look at a child born blind or somebody dying too young and not feel sad And wonder why the pain and why the suffering. And God, you don't give us all the answers right now. So Lord, all we know to do is turn to you and see you for who you really are. Not a heartless God that doesn't care what's going on, but a God who loves us enough to create a perfect world for us, who loves loves us enough to send Jesus to restore that world. And Lord, I thank you because not only are you with us through these hard times, but you call us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ. You call us to heal and to love each other through these hard times of pain and suffering. And God, we thank you for the promise that we have that someday you will return and you will finish this job of redemption and you will take away all the pain and you'll take away all the suffering and you'll give us your shalom peace. Lord, we thank you for that hope. In the name of Jesus, amen.